Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football. With your host, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price-dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Welcome back to another live episode of Dynasty Theory, a proud member of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. Unfortunately, and it seems like it's a common theme these days, Mitch is not going to be joining us tonight. It is his wife's birthday, so happy birthday, Mrs. Sorensen. But there is somebody that I can't seem to get rid of, even though I try every single week, and that is Dan LaMagna. That's at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? I might have to take like uh, Mitchell's strategies there. I think he's trying to renegotiate with you, John, with these occasional holidays and happenings, but definitely happy birthday to his missus. And uh, man, I'm, I'm pumped to be here tonight. You know, after a day of dealing with uh, some crazy salesmen, I don't, don't want to say any companies yet because negotiation's still ongoing. I'm definitely ready to talk some football and, you know, a lot of real world problems going on, man. So, uh, you know, hopefully we provide our listeners with some just normalcy and uh, thoughts and prayers to everybody who's struggling with what's going on in the world. Absolutely. I completely agree there. Remember, we're, we're doing our YouTube subscriber giveaway. One lucky listener is going to get a one-year subscription to Dynasty League Football. That's a $40 value. So if you haven't, please subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, leave a rating on whichever platform you listen to. It would be greatly appreciated and would really help us out. Before we introduce tonight's guest, just like we did for Mother's Day, once again, we are partnering with MyFrontPageStory.com. Your dad loves the newspaper. Everybody's dad loves the newspaper. Give him the cover story he deserves for being such an awesome dad right at MyFrontPageStory.com. Telling your dad you had a story written about him as a gift for Father's Day is pretty much the coolest thing you're going to tell someone when giving them a gift. Watching him read it and try not to get choked up will be even better. Talk to a writer about your dad for 10, 15 minutes. They write an amazing story about him and send it to you. He'll love it. You win. And with everything going on in the world right now, you can do this in the comfort of your own home over the phone. What are you going to get your dad for Father's Day? Socks, a tie, a gift card? That's all boring. Give him something that he's actually going to remember forever. Again, check out myfrontpagestory.com and use code THEORY20 to get 20% off. Now, Dan, you and I, we were talking in our group chat earlier, and I think you said you were going to explain Warp for our listeners tonight, right? Isn't that what you said? I, th- I think we have a special guest that's probably going to do a better job of explaining that to me. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm here for the ride. I'm, I'm learning. So whenever I threw the show notes out, uh, Dan basically said that I was speaking a foreign language. And that's why we brought our guest on tonight. He is the author of the Analytics of Dynasty, co-host of Under the Helmet, the host of the Analytics of Dynasty podcast, none other than Jordan McNamara. And that's at McNamara Dynasty on Twitter. What's going on, Jordan? Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'll try to not screw up the description of Warp too badly to confuse people more. So it's it's actually pretty simple. We'll, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, when I dropped the show notes in our chat, Dan was like, I, I think I can prepare for this. I don't know. <laughs> Dan's an old school guy. So you start throwing these fancy analytics. He's not really sure what to do. Yeah, I, l- I like watching the game film, you know, and there's all these ac- different acronyms. And, you know, I'm just on media overload, John. You just don't cut me any slack. You know, I'm negotiating car deals. I'm trying to get a campus back here in Scranton, back to business. And, and you're giving me slack all the time. How long are you going to use the car negotiations as an excuse in preparation for the show? Because I feel like this could stretch out for a few months. At least a week. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping to have this. I thought I had it wrapped up today, John, until, I, you know, they tried to change the numbers on me. But uh, one more week, maybe. 
Okay, sounds good. So, Jordan, I'm familiar kind of with how the analytics of Dynasty started, how you you mm-hmm. how this came about. I heard you talk on a few different podcasts. Um, but for our listeners that don't know, how did you stumble upon this? How did you really start this research? So I've been playing Dynasty since 2012, and I've been doing work with UTHDynasty.com since uh, 2016. Uh, so I've been playing Dynasty for a while, and in the what would have been the season of 2017, I wanted to get into more DFS. Uh, it was my goal was to get into more DFS. And um, so I started playing a little bit uh, and realized I was just too far in over my head. Like I just couldn't really get, you know, I, I sort of knew players, but I didn't, I didn't know value. I didn't know odds, right? That's just sort of how I operate. So I said, I'm going to, you know, I, three or four weeks, like I, I actually won, um, thanks Kenny Stills in week one. And then just like three or four weeks later, just sort of, um, you know, frittered away. And I said, I'm, I'm getting out. I'm going to spend the whole off season working on it. And then I'm going to play more serious DFS. So January and February of what would have been 2018, I spent probably like six weeks between January, February, and March, um, just doing research, just researching and just different just different ideas, draft pedigree, you know, just different things that I could try and figure out better ways to play DFS. And, but I came at it from a dynasty background. And what I found was, is every time I kept looking at things, what, what jumped out to me very clearly was, is that there's dynasty implications to this and that there's this data really suggests something about dynasty as well as DFS. And so I was able to go back basically 10 years and get uh, ADP. I laid it over uh, all of the stats that I had found, um, including some of the ones, you know, warp and some other things that you mentioned, um, which we'll get into. And I had, you know, uh, in about six weeks, I had, you know, like 40 pages worth of notes, just, just chicken scratch put together. Um, and I said, there's like a book here. And so I, I went ahead and wrote the analytics of dynasty 2019 edition, which was the first one. And that was just, you know, I was like 150 pages of just dynasty strategy from basically beginning to end. Um, I thought that was it. I said, I'll never do this again. Like that was fun. Like wrote it, just wanted to evergreen. This will always be usable and sort of move on. And then there was more and more questions about it, which was, you know, super, can you cover super flex? Like, how do we think about a super flex? But I didn't have any of that data. So after a couple of months, I said, you know what, I'll do another one. And so I wrote 2020, um, the past year, I wrote the 2020 edition and released it in January. Um, and you know, that's a lot. It's, it's, usable for everyone in dynasty i would say um there's a specific superflex section to it so about a quarter of it is dedicated to the quarterback position and superflex more generally um, and then there's a lot of other things in terms of you know dealing with all the positions and then i have some just general strategy advice too in terms of some roster construction ideas and just some different things um, that i've found in dynasty that are pretty successful so that's that's basically the genesis of it I think expanding it into the super flex world, it was probably a really good idea on your part because I know all but one of the leagues I play in, they're dynasty super flex leagues. And Dan, he takes part in super flex. And that was kind of, you know, when, when you talk about the genesis of analytics of dynasty, that's where we started with our show. We were super mm-hmm. flexology. We wanted to strictly talk about super flex formats. Um, but while we focused on dynasty, you know, with name being super flexology, we had so many people, Oh, I've been listening to your show, but I don't play super flex. It's like, yeah, but we don't only talk about super flex. So that's right. when we transitioned to dynasty theory. And 
you know, we have a lot of shows where we talk about buy lows, sell highs, things like that. But this is the kind of stuff that I think for me, I could talk about the strategy all day, every day. And I think it really ties in well with our show dynasty theory. And I told you, Jordan, I'm going to use everything you say against you in the leagues that we're in together. And I was looking at, at my rosters in those leagues and I, I think I have a ways to go. I, I saw your haul in the one rookie draft. I was quite envious. It was Swift, I think Taylor, Dobbin. So I, I have a ways to catch up to you there. Yeah, I I, uh, I sort of went with the strategy in 2019, in the startup draft in 2019. Um, and it was funny because we did it early. Uh, and I've learned a lot from the the doing drafts early in the offseason versus doing them late. Like I've learned, like that's something I would say in the past year, just studying the calendar uh, in terms of in terms of strategy, in terms of the I think the strategy is largely the same. I think maybe the tactical uh, the tactical decisions that you make early in a draft for for in a February draft are probably different and should be different than than in August. And so like that's one of the things I learned from in that draft. But yeah, I mean I started with wide receiver heavy. I made some mistakes in that in that particular one of those leagues, the the one with the big rookie hall in particular, that um, after writing the 2020 edition and the research that I found in that, I mean, I, I drafted that. I think that was in February or March. We did that startup. And by about, early, yep. by about June, July, August, I had this research for the book that I, I realized pretty quickly that I had made critical mistakes in that first in that first batch of drafts. So I've since moved in a different direction in terms of how I draft some of my teams and some of the positions that I avoid and, and those sorts of things. I have so many situations like that where we'll draft early in the offseason. Heck, I mean, even beginning of January. And mm -hmm. once March, April, May comes along, you know, I'm doing more research. And I'm like, okay, you know, th this player, he looks to be a sell because he can't sustain what he was doing. Or I think the cliff's going to hit whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, crap, I just took him in five drafts early in the offseason. What am I doing? I got to move him. But now everybody kind of feels that way. So I can't move him. But it it's funny, as time goes on, you know, the more research we do, how the values are constantly changing in Dynasty. And, you know, like I said, we, we talk about Superflex a lot. So let's start there because this really seems to be a hot button topic where everybody on Twitter, they have an opinion. Yes, take quarterback early, solidify that uh, quarterback core, and, and go from there. And then there's people say, saying, oh, I fade quarterback. I can get the Rivers, the Roethlisbergers, the older veterans for cheap. So what have you found in Analytics of Dynasty doing your research? Does it make sense to go quarterback early, quarterback late, or is there just kind of a blend of the two? Um, I guess, I guess my general thought would be, I think the quarterback, the quarterback position in Superflex is wildly misunderstood. Um, and, and I say that because what you'll see at quarterback in particular with young quarterbacks is that they miss at a, a very high rate. So, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, guys in the first round of, of the NFL draft, for example, like the top 10 guys, um, guys drafted in the top 10, which should be the best of the best, only about 40% of them hit twice, right? So if you think about that and you're drafting, you know, Burrow or Tua or Herbert, uh, you know, or Mayfield or Darnold, just keep going back. Uh, there's a big miss rate in there. And I, I think that people over uh, don't appreciate that. And they really don't appreciate the difference generally between quarterbacks that have done it 
versus quarterbacks that haven't. Um, and, and, you know, one of the ways that I have implemented that is I drafted, I don't, I'm in, you know, I don't know of, of the, I, I think I've spent, call it like 85, 90 picks in rookie drafts this year. Um, and not one of them in a super flex league. I think one, excuse me, one of them in a super flex league I've spent on a quarterback, just one. And it was Jordan Love at the you, end of the second round. Can I yeah. interject just with a quick follow-up question? Because I know yes. if I wait, I'm going to completely forget. That's just kind of Absolutely. how I, how I am. So <laughs> I'm with you, know, you. you said, you said you've taken one quarterback out of all your rookie picks. Is that primarily due to the fact that you solidified the position in the startup and you gave yourself that luxury? Because I know a lot of people, and if you talk to 100 people, 50%, at least in rookie drafts, they'll say, oh, if you need a quarterback, take a quarterback. So, you know, kind of draft for need in the rookie draft. And I know there's a lot of varying opinions there. Whereas in startup, I say go for value 100% of the time. But in the rookie drafts, do you think that's because you solidified that position early and you didn't have to go that route? Or was it, um, you know, like I said earlier, maybe I'll just attack an older veteran and bring him in later on in the offseason? Um, it's a little bit of both. So uh, generally speaking, I think that instead of if I have let me use an example, if I have 101 and I need quarterback the worst thing I can do is draft Joe Burrow. The absolute worst thing I can do is draft Joe Burrow because the odds that he actually helps you. And listen, I, I like Joe Burrow. Let's just get this. I'm not, I'm not picking on Joe Burrow. I'm just, I'm picking on top 10 quarterbacks in particular, which is that the odds that they help you in year one, really low. The odds that they become long-term sustained success is less than, is less than 50%. And so if I, if I say, okay, I have this asset, that everyone loves uh, and I need quarterback. Well, I can get Matthew Stafford um, plus something probably really good uh, for that one one and be in a better position odds base going forward. Right? Like I'll take right now, I would take Matthew Stafford over Burrow for the rest of their careers. I love Matthew Stafford. So you're preaching to the choir. Yeah. And, and honestly, like I would probably, I would do the same with Matt Ryan, right? I would do the same with, with Kirk Cousins, right? And that might seem crazy, but, but what people, uh, we get all wrapped up in the young quarterback, but really it's not the young, young quarterbacks are a miss a lot. And, and, you know, like I like Tyler Murray and took him last year and at, at the one-on-one in rookie drafts, but that was primarily a function of the, the, the class was bad. Right. Like in a class like this, you don't need to do that. Right. Like you can get plenty of other safer uh, positions, safer profiles at, at, at more premium positions that will help you earlier. And that's why I haven't drafted rookie quarterbacks. And, you know, would I in a different year? Yeah. Like if Justin Herbert was worth a full round discount, like Daniel Jones or Josh Allen have been uh, compared to their counterparts earlier in the draft. Would I be in on that? Yeah. But the way the market has developed this year, it just hasn't really made sense market wise. I can get, I mean, am I going to take two or am I going to take acres? Am I going to take two or am I going to take, you know, Dobbins? Like I'm going to take the running back and, you know, am I going to take Jonathan Taylor? Am I going to take Joe Burrow? Like that's an easy answer for me in terms of taking uh, Jonathan Taylor. And, and the weird part is, is and what to go to what you said and what, what has, I can't the only it's I think the 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 craziest inefficiency I've ever found in the market, which is I have tracked real startup drafts. So actual drafts dating back to March. 
and something I call real draft position. Uh, and I have it over at my Patreon, uh, my Patreon um, site. And so it's actual startup drafts. And what has consistently been true, consistently been true since March, has been that Jonathan Taylor has gone ahead of Joe Burrow and 80% of leagues and startup drafts. You flip that to a rookie draft and and Joe Burrow's the not not the consensus 101, but we'll call it between 70 and 80% of the time he's going over uh, he's going with the first pick in the draft. That's a that's a horrible process, right? To, to you're you're taking your that's the only explanation for that is need, which is the worst way to ever address need is to draft a rookie quarterback. And so I I see that open up and I just I can't I think that's just a, a mistake that people are making in the market that it's just pretty clearly, uh, you know, the efficient market says that Jonathan Taylor's bad. The need-based market is, is giving up a full round of, of startup draft equity because they quote need it. And you know, that I think that's just a mistake. I don't even know if it's a full round. I think it's more than that. I, I I've seen situations where Jonathan Taylor's going early second, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going early second. Joe Burrow's going fourth. Two is going in the fifth round. So that is a huge discrepancy like you talked about. We've talked about that in our Dynasty Theory Listener League chat. You know, the, the huge discrepancy between startup draft capital for these rookies and the way it looks in rookie drafts. Now, Dan, you and I and Mitch, we kind of gone back and forth. We've updated our rookie rankings up to this point several times. I think I update mine every five minutes. But I, just like Jordan said, I have the two running backs ahead of Joe Burrow. Now, I, I Dan, I know you're going to, you know, last time we talked about our rookie rankings, you had Joe Burrow as 101. So with with Jordan here, are you ready to fight him? Are you ready to throw down? Or are you going to gonna change your conviction a little bit here, as you like to say? I like that. You put me on the spot here, but a good spot to be, <laughs> a good spot to be in there. You know, th- this is one of the spot, I think. Right, right. This is one I'm not battling with Jordan because I think strategically I'm aligned with what he's saying there. It makes a, a ton of sense. Now, often, as you know, JB, I, I don't get invited to the, to the first round draft pick party anyway because I've traded a lot of my draft capital away. Um, but with that being said, part of that is, you know, my roster construction of quarterbacks is most of my rosters are designed with at least one elite quarterback. So I've got, you know, one franchise guy. I've secured a second one. And in most leagues, I, I try to have three anyway. So if I do have draft capital in the leagues that I do, I'm, I'm taking that running back right there with Jordan. Now, when I do put Burrow 101 in my rankings, JB, that's more of a projected on, you know, he is the elite quarterback in the class. If my team didn't have a situation where we're talking super flex, where I have a, a terrible quarterback situation, I don't want to be settled with Nick Foles. I, I need to know that I have my elite quarterback, my other guy that's like a Stafford, a Cousins, a Ryan, like Jordan mentioned. If I'm stable, hey, I'm all about those those running backs. So uh, I agree with Jordan overall. I still keep Burrow as my one-on-one, but it's definitely situation dependent. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I took part in a few 14-team Superflex rookie drafts, and you would think 14-team, okay, you're going to elevate Burrow and Tua and Herbert, you know, because, you know, you have more – teams in the league but I put myself in a very good situation with my quarterbacks and I felt very comfortable so whether you're drafting on need or value I still took Taylor and Clyde Edwards Hilaire at the 101 and 102 and I felt really good with where my team was and Dan you said you you target at least one 
top tier quarterback. And I'd say 90% of the time that's Dak Prescott. I think that's obvious with the little cutout behind you. I see you moved him up from your fan cave downstairs, but he travels. He, he does. He does. Do you think like, I, I think you're okay with the aging quarterbacks as opposed to reaching. So again, I, I kind of tease you and, and put you on the spot with having Burrow at 101, but I think you're okay kind of having that Dak Cousins Ben makeup in a super flex league. And I do shamelessly admit, you know, there is a, I have a high percentage of, of Dak on my rosters, but it kind of just, it's fallen that way to some degree. I have my shares of Mahomes and um, Deshaun Watson. I unfortunately, you know, get snaked on Jack Lamar Jackson everywhere. It seems, but I want to come out of there. If I can't get Mahomes or Jackson, depending on how the draft falls, I, I like loading up running back early. Um, but if I can't get those two, then it's Dak Watson, Kyler Murray. So one of those five guys I like to be kind of set with. And then after those five, my number two, I'm hoping to be in that range that Jordan's talking about, guys with job security, you know, that, that are in pretty stable overall situations. And I know I'm going to get some good years out of them. I do not want to get settled with that aging quarterback that doesn't have job security that I can't even trade him in a dynasty league. Um, you know, if, if for some reason down the road, you know, a couple of years from now, I need more draft capital. I could trade that elite quarterback if I have to. So I think the longer that Dan Cox, Jordan, you're just going to get so fed up. You're going to rip your headphones out, log out of this chat because he says he has Burroughs 101. Obviously, you have an issue with that. But then he says he's going to go running back early in drafts, and we're going to get to it eventually. But I know you love to load up on those elite wide receivers early. So we, we're not there yet. But once we get there, um, you know, we'll dive in a little bit. Just to close up on the quarterbacks here, point blank, do you think quarterbacks are overvalued in startups? Well, can I just tell you who my quarterback two in all of uh, in Dynasty is? I know who it is because you gave me a smart ass answer on my tweet. You have Dak, don't you? He's st- he's sitting right behind you, Dan. <laughs> my man, there we go. <laughs> I've got him I, over Lamar Jackson. I had that tweet a few months ago that Dak yeah. was my quarterback three, and yeah. you retweeted it and said, there, "There's still time to uh, you know correct this." And I was like, yeah. oh, "Damn you, Jordan! Damn yeah. you!" Yeah, people forget who had the best offense in the NFL last year. It was it resided in Dallas. Um, our quarterbacks overvalued. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I, but I think I think you have to be careful about the profiles you take. So I, I guess that's uh, as a position. No, are, are certain profiles overvalued? Yes. Like you can't get me on board with Kyler Murray in the first round. Like Kyler Murray, quarterback three in a startup draft is <laughs> playing with a lot of fire. And and listen, we we did this last year, right? We this isn't. This didn't take a lot of time for it to happen again, which was Baker Mayfield was going quarterback four, quarterback three, quarterback. I saw him at quarterback two. That didn't happen a lot, but I saw it happen. Yep. Uh, and, you know, now he's going in the 40s and startup drafts, right? That's a lot of loss, right? That's a lot of risk. Uh, K- Kyler Murray's good, right? Top 12 season as a as a rookie, that's good. I'll just say that, that people expecting him to be – you know, Lamar Jackson, uh, in quarter in year two, that has not happened. Right. In terms of guys that, that finish in the, the, um, top 12 as as rookies, no one's finished above, uh, for first rounders have finished above quarterback six. Right. So to take that massive jump, uh, I, I, I would just caution folks. And I would also caution folks that 
if you haven't, if you just have one top 12 season, there's a lot of danger in that. And that's not to say that he can't be good, but it's, it's basically a coin flip to do it again. Is he have a lot of positive indicators? He does. But uh, what I, what, what concerns me about a guy like Kyler is that he is, it's all downside risk, right? In terms of if, if he does everything that you expect, you take him at quarterback three and he does everything that you expect. What's he next year? Like he moves up two or three spots and start up ADP and goes right behind Mahomes. I mean, that's, that's probably the best that happens. I mean, he can't go any, I mean, all right. If let's assume he jumps all the way to one, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, like you went up a half a round, right. But the downside risk is, is pretty big. Um, so that's, I think those profiles are underrated or overrated. Um, but generally speaking, I think it's important to have strong quarterbacks. I would just, probably push people on what the definition of strong quarterbacks are. And I, I love your, your thought process here in your mindset. Well, I love it because it kind of lines up with where I am. So I want to give myself a pat on the back. I feel smart tonight, (laughs) but one guy that I loved and it was because of his price previously was Josh Allen. I was getting Mm -hmm. him as quarterback 20, 21, 22 in that range. And even a rookie drafts, which you mentioned, he was going in the second round of 12, 12 team rookie (laughs) drafts in Superflex. So, Mm -hmm. That was a great market inefficiency, but now he's going quarterback eight, nine, ten, and Seven. I can't see him. <laughs> right, exactly. And I can't see him ever really going above that. So I and it's funny because I'm in I'm in different group chats with people in different startups, and people know I love Josh Allen. And they'll say, Oh, Bauer, I know you're gonna take Josh Allen. I can't get him because I'm not willing to pay his absolute ceiling. Now, there are players that I'm okay paying that ceiling. But Josh Allen just is not one of them. So I, I like that you brought that up. And I like that you brought up the different profiles. And, you know, we'll get into it later. But you talk about player rate and player density. And, and we'll, we'll have you explain that a little bit later. But I think that ties in there. So one last thing on the quarterbacks mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, how much of your quarterback strategy in startups is dictated from the first few rounds? So what I mean by that for our listeners, if you see there's two quarterbacks in the first round, one quarterback in the third round. That's an extreme. But I think in that situation, you can think, okay, I can wait a little bit as opposed to seven or eight quarterbacks going in the first two rounds. So how much of the early draft capital spent on quarterbacks by your league mates? Does that change your strategy? Um, so for example, I just drew one twelve, And if Dak was there, I was taking him. Um, if he wasn't there, I was probably going to wait until like, I, I don't, I think I've done, you know, a handful of super flex startup drafts and we'll call it the last 12 months and maybe done six. I don't think I've taken a quarterback before round five. Um, so that's, you know, round five, six, seven might be where I land. Now, does that mean that I wouldn't do that? Right. If, if, I don't know if Russell Wilson fell at the end of the second round, right? Yes, I would, you know, I would do that, you know, at, at certain price points. Uh, but generally speaking, I think, you know, I, I do think that there's, there is value in the teens this year in particular, and every year is different. And that's the fun part about writing the analytics at dynasty is it's a, it's a, a historic strategy, right? It's, it's what has historically worked. And, and then you'll see how the price 
how the prices shape up each year. And you'll say, oh, well, that's a clear, you know, based on the strategy, like that's a clear target player, right? Or that's a clear avoid profile, right? So it's it'll it'll end up being different. You'll see different manifestations of it every year. But I think historically, there's not a huge difference going between, you know, round three and round seven. Like those guys produce about the same in terms of like warp and some of the other stats that we're going to probably talk about. Like you don't really it's pretty flat there historically. So I'm okay. You know, if everyone's going to let the position slide, like I'll just roll right along with letting it slide. And I've been, so when I first started playing super flex, I made the mistake of fading quarterback. I didn't think you really needed Mm -hmm. it. And then as it transitioned, I went completely the other way and Mm -hmm. I overcompensated. Okay. I'm going to lock my quarterbacks down early, but now that I've been playing for a few years, I'm in the same boat. And I feel very comfortable waiting to the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. I mean, I got Carson Wentz in the fourth round of a startup earlier today, and I yeah. felt really good about that. Yeah. And I got I got Matthew Stafford in the quarterback 2021 range in another startup, and I felt just really set. good about that. It's just, he's just so <laughs> undervalued, and there's so many right. quarterbacks like that. So right. it's, it's really interesting to get another perspective because Dan, Mitch, and myself, we always talk about quarterbacks, and I think people – they know where we lie on the issue. So it's really good to get an outsider's perspective. And, you know, seeing as you put in so much time and research, I, I love the insight that you provided on the quarterbacks. Now, going ahead here, and Dan, I want your thoughts here before we jump into Jordan with his hours and hours of research, you know, future draft picks and startups. And you kind of already alluded to it, Dan, where you're not afraid to trade your future first or second round pick to move up in the draft and the startup or to get a specific guy that you're targeting. So how, how do you value future picks in super flex startups, Dan? I value them. It's one of those things where, you know, I'm more concerned about my roster construction in the early rounds. I'm targeting my guys. I have my tiers and depending on how the draft falls, if it takes me getting my guy without overpaying, Um, You know, I'm willing to give up that draft capital to set my roster up to be competitive now. Uh, As you know, I like building rosters that are competitive now, but still young where they're not going to, if things don't pan out, I still have options. I still have trade tools. I have very, you know, uh, attractive players on my roster, so to say. But at the same time, I'm willing to trade for draft capital. I'm willing to trade up. I'm willing to trade back. Uh, I'm very flexible going into the drafts, depending on how they fall. So Again, I'm more of a win now guy. So if you look at my the majority of my roster constructions, I have traded a lot of draft capital to build my roster the way I want to build it. But I've got some rosters where I do have some draft capital. And it, it, again, it all depends on the league and the size and who's in it. If I so know I'm, I'm in a league with you, John, I, I, I'm probably right out of the gates trading, you know, trading draft capital to you and taking <laughs> your picks. So I would say it's probably fair to say that it's more value-based for you, kind of exactly how you said. It depends how the league values them and how the draft's going. Is that accurate? Yeah, most certainly. Most certainly. Like I said, I, I think we enjoy – I think every league I'm in, there's at least one, two, three guys that have a strategy probably similar to yours, John, where you're building that draft capital later. You've got that dynasty football format where you're – you're laying out the plan and you're building up your draft capital and you're building up later picks and you're giving up some of those early picks. I think it was today I listened to uh, JJ Zacharies and he had an interesting pod where the the percentage of players hitting, like being league winning players are going in those first five rounds. And that kind of fell a little bit more in line where my strategy is where I'm trying to get that real strong core, those guys that hit that are young 
and uh, you know just competing right away. So that, that's why I'm willing to trade more of that draft capital. It is valuable though. It just depends how you use it. And even though I give you a hard time every single day, whether it's in our group chat or on the show, I saw what you did last year, and I know that you had a pretty profitable year, so I can't knock you too much. But again, it's it's very good to get an outsider's perspective here and somebody that did the research. So, Jordan, overall, what are you finding in the analytics of Dynasty? And for me personally, like like Dan mentioned, at this point, with the startups I've been doing in this 2020 offseason, it's been about accumulating several future picks, but moving back and acquiring additional draft capital in the startups. Whereas in Jordan, you can attest to this and Dan, you can as well. In my 2019 startups, I was like, hell, I want to win. You know, uh, screw the first round picks next year. If I think the value's right, I'm going to capitalize on it. But what are you finding overall, Jordan? You know, it, whether it's our future picks overvalued, undervalued, what, what are you seeing? Um, I, I think it, it depends on how you, you determine value. Um, so I guess that's one part of it. Um, generally speaking, I, I, you know, I did some polling on this and I actually sort of laid it out in the book. It was pretty interesting just to sort of get an idea of what, of what folks thought. Um, you know, what, what basically the average, uh, you know, what, if you were to just say, what's a random future first worth, you know, cause that's the, the phrase is a, a random future first. Most people put it between 106 and 107, which would be the midpoint of the round, right? That would be, you know, if you divided it right in half, it would be one point, uh, you know, it'd be, it would be 6.5 in terms of picks, 1.065. And 56% of people said it was between six and seven, right? So that's right. Um, But, but in reality, that's not true. What, what you'll see is, and, and where I think you, there's a hidden value, I think there's a couple of hidden values in, in the the rookie drafts, but there's hidden value in the sense that the a random future first isn't worth between six and seven. It's worth 105, uh, and the reason for that is is because um, your your rookie picks aren't linear, right? So just think about you know what the difference between Zeke and whoever was 102 in that class was, and it was massive, right? Like that was a massive difference. To make that trade was crazy that isn't true at the end of the round right the difference between 11 and 12 is really close right so that you when you get a random future first the the if you have a random shot at getting 101 you should weigh that more essentially right it's worth more than uh you know than some of the later picks because the upside's so high right so i just did some average simulations and stuff like that and i came out with it about you know i think the the picks were you know is is about call it about uh 10 to 15% more valuable in terms of actual warp which is wins over a placement player um than than the market puts it at so that's one thing the other thing too is that people overvalue or sorry i guess undervalue their their pick and what i mean by that is if you ask people you know how do you think your team's going to do People are going to overestimate how good their team actually is, right? Everybody has a championship contender in the startup. Yes. Everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and I, I did a, I did in a league that I was in, I, I did a, I did a poll after league. I just sent out everyone and you can do this. And if you don't, if you don't believe me, this is what will happen. Um, tell me what your odds of winning the championship in year one are, right? 
uh, 12-team league, and there's only one championship, right? So the total is 100%. There's going to be one championship. I sent it out to all 12. I got 10 responses. The average response, 22.6%. The total, so if you were to take that out and so extrapolate it over 12 two, teams. 250% or so? 271%, right? <laughs> right, right. So 2.7 championships per league, right? Now, again, there's only one in that league, but you're seeing 2.7 times the amount of confidence that people have, right? So people just overappreciate how good their teams are. Um, and so that's that's one thing that you'll see. And, you know, I did some other polls in the book, but so generally speaking, I think that the pick, the random pick is actually worth more than what a random pick um, the market perceives it as. And when you're trading for a future pick, I think the, uh, the you know, people are... Are over are undervaluing the pick because they think it's going to be later than it is, right? So I tend to value them more based on those two factors, just generally. Also, and I have been tempted this off season, and I haven't done it yet um, because I think the market is fading. Start is fading. Isn't really the drafts I have been in aren't trading up and 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 mortgaging future capital. I just haven't seen a ton of that yet. Um, and so I have toyed around with the idea of doing it because I think if, if, if there's value there, I'll exploit it. Just historically, there hasn't been value there. Uh, but I can't sort of get on board with it yet because there's so much uncertainty. There's so much risk in terms of, of all the things that are going on in the world right now that I just want to have all my capital, uh, as liquid as I can. So there's that liquidity factor too. That's important. And people will say, Oh, you're just punting. I can use a future first whenever I want to, right? I can trade a future first probably tomorrow and, and in some way, shape or form get Julio Jones who's going to help me this year. Right? Like I can do that at any point. It's not just to, to kick it down the can. I know that's a lot of what, you know, when I sort of talk about this, people respond with, oh, you're just punting. And I'm no, if I have two or three future first, I can spend them in season to get almost anyone I want. And so, you know, having that flexibility is really critical. So I do think that's a part of the value. Um, and in terms of startup drafts, I was fascinated by this because I said, I think there's, I would love to know how people perform, right? So I had 25 leagues. I looked at, the, I looked at, basically how you left the league. So in debt, in surplus or neutral. So if you were in debt, that means you had traded away your future first. If you were in surplus, it means you you acquired at least one more future first. Um, and there were a bunch of teams that had, two, had acquired uh, more than one. Um, or you were neutral, right? Which means you you have the same future first. So 61% of teams were neutral, 24% of teams were in debt, and 15% of teams were in surplus. Um, so that gives you some idea of the strategy. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly it because I think a lot more people try and accumulate uh, future first, just aren't able to do it. Um, just because I think, you know, when you get five, six, seven, eight guys in a league, right? And they're all trying to trade down and get future capital. It, it looks on paper like it's not really happening, but you know, I was in some of these leagues and just, I know how it was going. So when you look at that, you know, a quarter of the teams basically are giving up their future first. I was really interested to see how that, how that turned out, right? Like, okay, so you implement the strategy. How does it help you? So if you were neutral, meaning you didn't give up any of your future first round picks, uh, you had a 52.2% chance to make the playoffs, right? So you were better than, better than half. If you um, were in debt, so you traded away your future first, 56.9%. So not so much of a difference. Less than 5%. 
And so that's, I mean, really, what's the, what's the odds? You know, four point seven percent increase on odds to make the playoffs. Like that's what it's worth. Um, it doesn't sound like it's worth it to me. I I don't think so. I, and 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 so what what is fascinating to me though is this, and and here's where I think the inefficiency lies. Um, again, I, just because you have a future first doesn't mean that you need to wait until next May to use it. Okay. Some years you do, some years you you don't have to do that, right? Only 30% of the teams that were in surplus made the playoffs. But what what I think is lost in that number is that they were drafting suboptimally. Right? You you are not a, if you are most people, if you're adding a future first round pick, you're not drafting for this year right? You're not drafting for this year. You're drafting for the future. So you're taking younger players. You're taking, you know, you're less, you're more likely to take, I don't know, Gardner Minshew instead of like Drew Brees, for example, you know, those, those types of decisions, you're not optimizing 2020, you're optimizing some point down the road, which isn't to say that that's wrong, but I think that's where that that's important when you consider that number. So I think there's actually a middle ground, which is, I think you can trade down, I think you can acquire future picks, but at the same time, optimize for right now, because what, what that'll give you the ability to do is, you know, there is certainly room to do that. There's absolutely room to do that because the, you know, you just look at what the, the adding one more top player gets you. (laughs) If you subtract one, it's not going to make it too, too different. Um, And so you sort of get into that range where I still think you can be a coin flip, um, and if you do it right, if you get super optimized, I think there's a way to get super optimized in terms of 2020. I think you can be better than a coin flip to make the playoffs by doing it. Um, but you have to be, it takes a a pretty concentrated strategy to sacrifice picks in a startup draft, get the future capital. But at the same time, you have to be concentrated on on optimizing in the present to do that. So, Dan, we always talk about it and you know this. Every single week, I say we have the best guests on Dynasty Theory, but bar none. I, I don't think there's a show that has better guests from top to bottom. And whenever we have an extremely intelligent guest like we do tonight, I don't think there's any question that I give myself a, a huge pat on the back whenever I utilize a strategy that they talk about. So there's one league specifically I'm thinking of, Jordan, and it's one of the uh, DLF championship series leagues. Yes. And uh-huh. I kept trading back, trading back, trading back, getting additional future capital. I have four 2021 first, and I use this as bulletin board material. I hang it up here in my office down here. People saying, uh, like, what are you doing? This isn't going to work. But in that league, I have four future first round picks, but I took the likes of Julio Jones. Todd Gurley, players that are going to help me in 2020. And in that format, if people aren't familiar, every three years, there's an additional $1,000 paid out. So guess what? I, I, I enjoy fantasy football just for the fun of it, but I also want to make a little bit of money. But by taking those players and getting the additional draft capital in the future, I think it really balances out. So either I'm going to be able to win now or... I'm going to have these future draft picks in the future. So I, I again, I, I love the insight that you're bringing, Jordan. And Dan, throughout that, I, I saw your pen go up, and I I know that's the cue that I, that's the cue that Dan's ready to jump in here. So what do you what do you have, Dan? The juices were flowing there. You know, as much as John wanted to stir the pot earlier in the show, I think Jordan and I get along very well, and uh, <laughs> if we're in a league together. 
Um, you know, I, I think I definitely fall in that early category to a degree of having that confidence in, and a lot of the guys say this to me is sometimes it, it hurts me negotiating because they go, your pick's going to land, you know, it's going to be a lower pick. And I've had good success overall in the picks that I have traded away. They were late firsts and, uh, you know, I'm getting some, some good capital. Now I'm in a dispersal draft right now where I knew this is a little bit of a harder build, even though I've got some win now players and I did some maneuvering of picks. I, I took two first round picks that, like you said, Jordan, you could use at any time. You know, I might, Hopefully I'm in the Trevor Lawrence lotto next year, or if I want to trade one of them to get a pick, if this team becomes a contender, you know, you can use them whenever you want. So, so I appreciated that point that you shared as well, but I definitely fall in that category of confidence in the picks. And I think all three of our strategies, what I like is there's a plan. I think mm-hmm. if you have a plan yeah. and you follow it, you're going to have some success. And the three of us have had success despite different strategies. And I think uh, that, you know, that, that I can't, Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Jordan. I was just going to say, I think I think that's a really good point that both of you made. Just because you pick up these additional first-round picks, you don't have to hold them until next May. Just like you said, Jordan, I can use that for, for players now if I think, okay, I start out 3-0, and 3-1, oh, 4-1, and one, yeah. four and one, whatever. I can, I can unload those and really make a run in it for players that I think can help me win now as well as maybe the next year or two. But that's a great point that both of you made. I think when people see that you're accumulating those first round picks. They think, and Jordan, just like you said, oh, you're punting this year. You're not really going to contend. You don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with that. And Dan, like of all the things, I think what you said is, is so critical. Don't, you don't need to right subscribe to any one of our theories or any one of our strategies and, and go blindly have your strategy, but, Make sure that every decision that you make is aimed at, at implementing that strategy, right? And and so whatever and and different people are good at different things. Like that's something I think that's really. I have subscribers and I have a group me and we we get in debates and talk and I have a live show and all this stuff through my Patreon thing. And some people are like Jordan, you don't you know you don't value trade value future trade value all that much and i think it's fickle and and all of those things i can't it's tough to really measure and all that nonsense um but but they, they're like i i'm more into it and i was like you should be right because you're that's how you, that's what you're good at right to embrace that and so i think dan what you said is, is really critical which is you have a strategy and try and optimize that strategy but implement it right everything should be about implementation can i give you that my favorite stat of, of all the stuff in the entire book i found a stat um in a in a uh, actually a psychological stir, uh, survey it was a it was one of these um i'm getting super geeky it was a 1977 uh, paper written by a professor Ola Svensson, and they. Yeah, and they, you were you were in college then, right? <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, they found Professor Svensson found that 93 percent of respondents they were talking. It was a, a they were asking people about their driving skills. 93 percent of respondents to a survey believed that they were more skillful drivers than the median driver. That didn't change. If uh, you had gotten in an accident, right, you still answered at the same rate, which you're you're objectively a worse driver, right? Like, and so it's just it's it, people just are overconfident. I think being patient and and uh, you know being patient and being a little bit contrarian in terms of you know being how you're going to value future picks. I do think for those reasons it has value. So, 
So I have two other questions. One is based on the future picks, but one is also based on what you just said. I know that you throw the polls out on Twitter constantly. And I know that you were, um, I I was laughing. I woke up this morning and I saw your one tweet, like you, you linked your account to the Twitter and a hundred tweets came out. (laughs) (laughs) I linked my Patreon account to my work, to my analytics of dynasty website. And, and, you know, it was like midnight or whatever. And so I, I wasn't really thinking all that, you know, and they said, just link it. It'll sort of bring all the old things back. Well, whenever I post something to the analyticsdynasty.com website, it posted to my Twitter account. And it didn't dawn on me that that was going to happen. So within like 15 minutes, like 100 tweets went out. I lost like two dozen followers. <laughs> I saw Peter Howard's tweet. And he, yeah. I was like, oh, no. He, he retweeted. He's like, he's like, damn, Jordan, you're working, you're grinding today or something. Yeah. And I was like, uh oh. So I put the stop, you know, I, I, I ran into WordPress, canceled the, canceled the uh, Twitter version of it. And uh, it was, it was hilarious. I'm, I was still, I was joking with some, some of my friends. I said I was still laughing this morning about it. It was so funny when it happened. I saw that when I woke up, but yeah, so you put out, you put out a ton of content on Twitter and so many polls. Have you ever done one? Because if you haven't, I would love to do one, you know, steal a page out of your book, just Mm -hmm. like you said about the uh, driving survey from 1977, where you ask people, how do you compare yourself to dynasty players? Have you done something like that? I did. I don't think I have it in... I don't remember if I put it in the book or not. Um, I do, I do have it. Um, and it, you know, people did overestimate it. Um, so yeah, so people, people were pretty confident in their abilities. Um, I can't remember offhand. I know it was, you know, something similar to the, uh, you know, to the, the, um, the driving study, right. Where it was like, 70 80 percent of people said that they were above average um would have been i think about what it was so i could go back and uh, that's part of a project for probably if i'm going to write the analytics of dynasty 3 i'm going to talk about it so but here's my question is that because they follow you and they have subscribed to the analytics of dynasty so maybe maybe it's justified <laughs> uh i got a lot of i got a lot of um uh, retweets and stuff on that. So there was a big response to that, to that. So I don't think it was just selection bias or anything like that. I just think that's how people view themselves. And, you know, most people, when you ask them, they're pretty confident in terms of what their abilities are. I, I think we have a hard time sort of placing that in the, you know, a spectrum of, of true skill. Um, and, you know, who's to say someone's truly better. I mean, there's, it's tough to measure that, but you just know that people are thinking, you know, that they're, that they're above average. So. I asked Dan that question once, and he said that he's the best dynasty player ever to walk the face of the earth. And I, I said, Dan, whoa, slow down a little bit, man. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Jordan has learned 49 minutes of his pod that you're full. You know what, JB? Stirring, you know, he, he keeps stirring up the pot, man. I'm very humble, Jordan. I'm very humble. I'm confident, like you said, but I'm humble. I think Jordan and every one of our listeners know that I'm full of crap as is. So before we move on, I have, I have one other question. So I was sitting there thinking about, you know, different questions and show notes to throw at you. And I should have known, again, we have the most incredible guests that come on the show. I put these show notes together. I don't even think we've used them up to this point. We're 50 minutes in, you know, it's just been, it's been fantastic conversation. So, you know, I, I appreciate that Jordan, but one question I did have written down here. Is it important for you to attempt to complete one of the first deals involving a first round, uh, a future first round pick to set the market? So one thing that I had happened to me, 
I was in a league and I was trying to to make some moves for my first round pick. There was somebody then they moved their first round pick for a startup ninth, and I. I, I wanted to say in the chat, yeah. like, hey, that that pissed me off. I I, I didn't say yeah. it. I held back, but you know, I think it's kind of important to set that market at times. But sometimes it's just not possible. Yeah. So I I do have a a startup a startup trade calculator. So one of the questions that I've gotten a lot, and fortunately, one you know, I was able to get my hands on this data in terms of tracking all these startup trusts that I'm tracking, which is to you know, evaluate what a pick is actually worth in terms of the trade market. So we're able to do some math on that and, and figure it out. So I can actually say, you know, hey, I'm, you know, with these picks, I'm losing this trade or I'm winning this trade or I'm, you know, winning it by 25% or whatever. So I sort of know what the market value of a future first is. Um, so when I sort of go into that, I, I have an idea. Um, I do try and set the market. Again, I, you know, once I get the the randomized, and you and I both play in some safe leagues, uh, you know, once I get the randomized thing, I'm sending, you know, forty offers out to try and get to try and typically to try and move down, depending on where I am. I'll do it a little bit differently, but Wait, I am re- re- to- really quick on that. You, you and I, we have the same starting offer if we have an early first, and I noticed it. it it's blasting out, and I, I don't, I don't mean to look behind the curtain and give your strategy mm-hmm. away. But if you have like the 101 or 102, it's that early first for like a second, a third, and the future first. And yeah. I have I have that same offer. And when it gets accepted, you're just like, yes. That's a it's a it's the <laughs> platinum return. It's tough to do. Like it's it, that that is from years past, honestly. Like that's probably not really I haven't really seen that executed much. And so I have gone to different ways. And and again, each year is different too. Like, you know, trading the 105 this year is different than trading the 105 in the past, right? Um, and trading to the early third round this year is different than the, you know, the in the past. So I'm a little bit more flexible because I have a better grasp of uh, what the, you know, inherent market value of those picks is uh, based on the research that I've done, which, you know, you can find that all. I have it that it's all as my part of my data package at, at Patreon um, to sort of make those deals and sort of know what they're worth. Cause that's something that I, I do think there's value in that because I've struggled, you know, myself, it's, it's tough to make trades because you don't, you're not, there's not players there. You don't have a way to compare it. You're just sort of, it's a more of an amorphous thing. It's, it's tough to conceptualize. So I, I was able to get that data. It's, it's super helpful making those trades. I, but yeah, so I'm trying to get in early. I'm trying to get in I, early. I have so many people reach out to me and say, you know, is this a good trade? My, and this is arbitrary, but my sure. second for a fifth and sixth, because right. again, yeah. it's extremely difficult yes. because there aren't players assigned. And I always say, you know, try to look at the players and, you know, ADP is useful to an extent, but try to look at the players that are going in that range. Mm-hmm. Do you feel comfortable with that guy in the fifth and the sixth? you know, for your second round pick. And of course it's going to vary lead league to league. But right. again, Dan, I, I see your little clicker up there. Uh, my, my fantasy football juices are just flowing right now. They're overflowing almost here. Well, you, you had a rough day, so you have to let it out tonight. This is therapeutic and, and our listeners are definitely getting a treat here, man. Cause I, I know I'm on uh, this uh, pod with, with some ringers here is, you know, Jordan opens it up talking about tactical decisions. Like he's in the military and then backs it up with analytics throughout the show and then, JB, this question you threw out here when I was reading the show notes, I was like, this is pretty impressive here because I never thought of being the first to the market in the you know the, the first round of a startup draft. And, and I thought about that a lot. And 
you know, having, as you know, like I owned a semi-pro football team before, and I don't know how many countless marketing books I have read where I often think about being the first to the market. I've done it in business. I do it in my role in higher education. And, you know, to your point, it does fire me up when you see that trade happen in the first round. And you're like, for the love of God, why wouldn't someone just talk to me or, or feel, you know, the, the offer throughout the league? So to your point, not realizing I do it, I do try to from those past experiences, every draft, you know, you don't know all the guys. Sometimes I'm putting something out there on the group chat saying, Hey, I will trade this, you know? And I think like George said, depending on where I'm picking, I know what I want to do. So I, I guess without even realizing it, John, I, you know, I, I guess maybe I, I fall to that strategy there of, of trying to set the market. So someone doesn't just give away a draft capital like that, but great content boys. Get me going and, here. And <laughs> Dan's, I always joke that Dan's sweating over there. He's all riled up. Um, but yeah, so many times you see a deal done in a, whether it's a startup, a rookie draft, or just an existing league. I mean, Jordan, there was, there's a league that you and I are in together and I, I laughed at myself because somebody put a little trade siren in the chat and you said, I hope oh that trade siren's the ambulance. Oh my God. It was a murder scene. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah. that's how I feel in it's some fun. startups yeah. because you, you, you see these deals and it's like, like, just like Dan said, why yeah. didn't you talk to me? Because I wouldn't right. have, I didn't need that much. Like we yeah. would have been okay with a little bit less. Like it was, like you said, it was a murder scene, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I think uh, we have to look at because it is tough to be the first out to the market in these deals. But it, I, I think just being active, it definitely helps. Just like you said, Jordan, blasting out those offers, 98% of them might get rejected. It only takes that one. It, it takes one deal to really set you apart. And that's why I love getting the early first round pick in startups because you know most of the time somebody's going to overpay. And previously, it was this guy. Uh, Jordan, <laughs> there's one league I'm in uh, with, with, your, with your guy, Chad, over at UTH. And it was one of my first slow startups in the offseason heading into 2017. 16-team league. I traded up, traded up, traded up. Somehow I've made the championship game two years in a row. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I don't know how, because you look at the strategy that I, I went, went about that league. It was, I should have not done that well. You know, so I, I think we, we take part in these startups. We make the mistakes and hopefully don't continue to make them, which I've adjusted my strategy moving forward. So I think that's great information there on the future draft picks and, you know, really insightful commentary. So now we're getting into Dan's favorite word. And again, when he read it, he was like, JB, what the heck are you saying? So roster construction and then incorporating warp. First of all, Jordan, what the heck is warp? I, I was laughing because I, you know, when we have guests on, I go through their uh, Twitter threads. I go through different guest spots and one tweet you had, you talked about warp and somebody said, oh, that's when uh, Wood gets all disconfigured. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so Warp is basically wins over a placement player. And what what you'll, you know, this is a concept similar to baseball, right? Baseball is a big, a big Warp. Um, and basketball has something similar, which is wind share. Um, so you can, uh, you know, you can, you can look at it different ways. That's where the idea came from. And basically what I said was, you know, players, if we sort of know what we're looking for, we can sort of tell how much a player will improve our roster. And so, or improve our, 
our record really. Uh, and so what I was able to do was look at how many points you score in a year um, and, and how that corresponds to your wins, right? It's, it's not that it's not that complicated. And what you'll find out is that in, in what I would consider a, a stock one quarterback league, it is uh, 97 points. Um, I think the the rosters that I did were it was a ten man starting roster, so uh, quarterback. Uh, I think it was running back, three wide receivers, two flex, a tight end, a kicker, and a defense. Um, and it's I've used some different uh, some different scoring systems. It's it's about the same in terms of it doesn't really matter as long as it's a ten team league. It's about it's ninety seven points, so it's a little bit over ninety seven. But I call it the rule of ninety seven. Um, so if you add in the first 13 weeks of the season, which is your regular season, if you add 97 points to your total score for the, uh, your total points, you'll win one more game. And so, um, and then I call it, what is the, I call it the rule of seven, which is, um, you know, if you improve your, your average points each week by seven points, again, it's a, I'm rounding here, um, yep. but it's just for the ease of it, seven points, uh, per week, if you improve that average points per game, you'll win another game. So that has really serious implications in terms of uh, strategy, right? Because what I think a lot of people will, will look towards and you'll, you'll see folks talk about, which is, hey, I need to add someone that'll help me right, on my team, which is obviously what we're trying to do. And then they'll add someone that doesn't really move the needle, right? So one of the things that I look for is, you know, roughly... You know, if I put, if I'm trying to acquire player X, you know, let's call it Devin Singletary, and I'm going to put him in my lineup over, you know, uh, Philip Lindsay, right? How much is that really going to move the needle per week, right? And and sort of move from there and say, okay, well, you know, if is it going to move me two or three points, or is it going to move me ten? Right, because that that's that really matters in terms of how much it moves, um, and so that's uh, it has a huge amount of strategy in terms of once you understand how much a player is actually worth, you can understand sort of how to make better trades, how to evaluate your trades, how to make um, you know better roster what I would consider roster decisions, roster construction decisions based on knowing what those players are. So a lot of it comes down to you know, like we were talking about earlier with the random feature first, right? The warp numbers aren't aren't flat, right? It matters the the guys at the top will move the needle a lot more than the difference between, you know, the difference between one and two is a lot bigger than the difference between, you know, five and six. And it's a lot bigger than the difference between eleven and twelve. So all of those things like like understanding that, you know, you can you can have an idea of how how impactful a player truly is and be able to value them as such. So I have a few follow up questions here. One, sure. j- just talking strictly off of what you just said and the role of sevens and 97 point differential. Mm-hmm. Let's say you have a player like Amari Cooper for mm-hmm. our Dallas Cowboy fan here and Dan, and he's typically going. I'd be shocked if a player like Calvin Ridley went ahead of him in a startup. Mm-hmm. But based on what you're saying, would you not really add too much to Calvin Ridley to acquire Amari Cooper? Or am I kind of misinterpreting that? Um, so uh, what I would caution people when, when I sort of use warp, right? What I would caution people is, is it, it tells you what happened, right? So to say, you know, that, that the warp difference between Amari Cooper and, and Calvin Ridley might not be that big last year. But that doesn't necessarily 
project forward in terms of what their future value is, right? And you know, so uh, I might, you know, I, I tend to think that Calvin Ridley is um, is probably in terms of how I build a roster uh, is actually uh, an underrated player. Uh, so I wouldn't knock on Calvin Ridley. I didn't love him coming out, but sort of now what he's doing in his career, I value what he has to offer. Um, so I would say, you know, generally speaking, and you'll see people debating, you know, oh, well, this player's, um, I'm losing a point per week. It doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't, it's not that big of a deal in terms of it's probably not going to change a game for you. Um, and, and so what I like to look at it is in terms of, not necessarily specific players because it's tough to project, you know, projections are difficult. What I look at is, is I have an additional metric called a warp, which is adjusted wins over replacement. And that incorporates uh, starter rate. Right. And, and that is really where I think it, it's super important because what you'll find is that the differences in, you know, when someone has a big week, do you capture it or not? Right. Because, Latavius Murray last year in a in a two week sample, Alvin Kamara was out two weeks. Uh, in that, I think it was week seven and eight, but it was a two week sample right in the middle of the season. Latavius Murray in that two week span was the running back one two weeks. During the course of those two games, he produced you a half a win over replacement for the entire season. Right, a, a a full half of over thirteen games. That's a half a win. So essentially, what that's saying is, you probably went one and one at worst. You probably went. You more than likely went two and zero oh in that short sample, just because of what Latavius Murray had to offer. And so when you understand that, and, and what really that is telling you is that. A warp, which is adjusted wins over replacement. You captured all of that. Most most people did. Most people had Latavius Murray in as a starter that week. He was a projected top 15 play in those two weeks. And you captured all of that. What you tend not to capture is the boom weeks at wide receiver, right? So uh, further down the line. So at a comparable price uh, of what Latavius Murray was, you know, or this year we'll use him. I think he's going like 14th, 15th, 16th round in drafts. The wide receiver in that range, you're probably not going to have them when they go off. You know, I, I always talk about this as the Kiki Kuti rule. Kiki Kuti had like two or three big weeks a couple of years ago, and they were basically, you know, spanned. There was four weeks, you know, it was basically one week and then three weeks off and then one week and then three weeks off and then another week. And what happened was, is no one started him in the week that he went off. Then everyone started him the next week. And then it dwindled, it dwindled, and no one started him again the week he went off, right? And that's the worst thing that can happen because you're you're starting a suboptimal player and losing it all to your bench, right? And uh, all of his big weeks to your bench. So that's really, I think, of, of the warp stuff in terms of how it applies and sort of the, the decision-making and the roster construction things, knowing those things is the the absolute most critical uh part of of my research in terms of warp and a warp that i found i you know i i love all that and talking about whenever you know knowing when to start players and how often you are and and taking that into account i i think that's extremely important we have one question from a listener here from yep. drake so jordan would you take chark or ridley in dynasty and while you answer this question i am going to step away 
because I'm going to tell you these trulies are running right through me. So while you answer, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm drinking coffee, so I'm I'm feeling your pain. Um, <laughs> I I would say uh, generally speaking, I, I view wide receiver draft pedigree is really really important, and so one of the things that I I look at is, is that, and I have a metric I call density, um, or well, I have, I have two metrics that are from the book. Uh, one is base rates and the other one is density. So base rates is basically looking at players that haven't hit and their likelihood of hitting going forward, um, uh, based on how long they've been in the league and their draft pedigree density. On the other hand is basically the opposite, which is how long you've been in the league and comparing that to, or excuse me, it's it's once you have hit, basically how likely you are to hit again. So, and what you'll see is that different pedigrees uh, will will present different ways. And so, uh, you know, for for Kelvin Ridley, for example, um, he is right now he has a sixty seven percent chance historically to produce another top twenty four season. Um, DJ Shark has uh, a sixty. 2% chance. So basically what that means is, um, um, or sorry, 63% chance. So basically what that means is that, uh, essentially what you're seeing is guys that, um, you know, hit, they go on a different spectrum. Um, and so that is just measuring the similar players at a similar spot in their career, sort of how they, how dense their hits were. Um, all of that is to say, I trust Kelvin Ridley a lot more than I trust uh, DJ Shark going forward. Um, you know, I know that Kelvin Ridley is a couple years older. I do have Kelvin Ridley ahead of uh, DJ Shark in my rankings. Um, I, Kelvin Ridley, for a lot of reasons, in terms of just floor stability, uh, which I think is really important year over year in terms of projectability of of you know yearly finish. That he's a, a really uh, critical player in terms of the type of roster construction I put together. So I would rather have Ridley than Shark. You, you missed it, JB. You're back. He, Jordan is the <laughs> mad the, scientist. The, the whole science lesson. Or were those wireless buds working in the restroom? No, I, I didn't take them with me. I should have. But I had the luxury of editing the show afterwards, so I can hear about everything. But I heard the key point there, Ridley over Shark, and I absolutely love Ridley. So I'm actually excited to go back and listen to the take there. (laughs) Dan, how many weeks in a row have I had to excuse myself during the show? It happens kind of often. Maybe There's medicine for that, John. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, we're talking about roster construction, incorporating warp. And you kind of touched on this, Jordan, but is there any way to use this for future decisions or is it strictly mm-hmm. based on what has happened in the past? No, it's it's super. I would say from like a player to player comparison, I would say I wouldn't get, you know, I think it's what is really important is understanding sort of what the benchmarks are. Right. So there's a difference between wide receiver six and wide receiver three and wide receiver one. Right. And, you know, wide receiver 12 and 24 going the other direction. Right. Those are all those are all different. Um, and so understanding that's really important. Uh, I look at warp from a really from a strategic perspective. Um, and so I guess uh, one specific takeaway is if I project, you know, if I say I have three or four guys on my team that are about the same. And let's assume that they're like a flexed conversation. Okay. That they're the types that are in a flex conversation. And for some reason, there's not a particularly, um, 
big difference in terms of what their market value is, right? That they're relatively, you know, they're relatively close. You know, there's one of them's not a huge depressed, you know, big time at, you know, big time pedigree buy or something like that, but they're relatively similar. If one of them is trading at a lot higher value than the other three, that one person is a great sell opportunity because the people that you're going to replace them with aren't going to cost you any any wins, right? So that's a really concrete one. So if you have, you know, three or four or five, six guys that are all in the flex, but one of them, you know, it's a, it's a weekly roster, you know, decision, starting lineup decision, but one of them is, is trading at a lot higher value. That's a critical opportunity to, to sell. Uh, the other thing that I've looked at a lot is in terms of what, what warp opportunities present in startup drafts, right? And so thinking about how, yeah, if I go running back early, what's that mean? Or if I go wide receiver early, what does that mean? And so historically, what, what you'll find is that I would say generally speaking, and each year is different, and this year might be different. We can talk about that. But but generally speaking, the running backs drafted, sorry, the, the top running backs will outscore the top wide receivers in terms of warp. The they're, you know, the elite running backs will have more warp than the elite wide receivers will. But that isn't necessarily to say that that drafting running back early over wide receiver it makes a ton of sense because what you'll see is actually the drop off uh, the guys you'll see a, a pretty steep warp decline from wide receivers from you know after the fifth round right it's it's become it drops pretty significantly in terms of you know getting a one warp season for example or or you know what your what your odds are of of getting a impactful warp but at running back you'll get those you'll get players and i have charts in the book that sort of show you you know you'll get running backs in round 10 that might have, you know, 10% of running backs there might produce a, a win over replacement season. Right. And so that's a big deal. Um, and so knowing those sorts of things, it allows you to understand really the uh, optimized roster construction, optimized, um, you know, players to, uh, you know, uh, positions to select and when to select them, sort of what their hit rates are and how that goes. So for me, typically what I found in my warp studies is that when you go wide receiver early, you're anytime you select a wide receiver over a running back, you're losing value. Historically, you're losing, you're losing production. The only time that that's a close debate is early in a startup draft. So, you know, if you look at average warp or top 24 seasons or anything like that, early in a startup draft is the is the least time you'll ever bleed, right? You're going to, you're going to bleed every time you select a wide receiver over running back. So it's one of those things. I just get it over with early because that's the closest that it's ever going to be. And then after that, like I would consider in super flex, it might be like around pick 75, but in, in a start one, I usually see it after about the fifth round. After that, every time you select a wide receiver over running back, you're hemorrhaging value every single time. And so what that speaks to me in terms of warp and all of those things. And what I've found is, is select wide receivers early because they're close there and they're they're safer there you're actually going to insulate some market value risk there 
and you're going to take the the guys that have a, a chance to be productive later on, right? You have guys like those Latavius Murray types, you know, all those backup running backs, you know, I mean, Raheem Mostert was a guy that was going free last year, but you know, those types of guys selecting those types of guys, you know, Madison this year is a big one for me. All of those guys have a chance to, to weigh out, kick their coverage or you know way out out punch where they are in terms of the draft because of warp and a warp and all of those things where that just is not true at wide receiver so uh, for all of those reasons i think that wide receiver early makes sense you sort of have a pretty confined roster build of wide receivers and then just as many backup running back situations as i can hit i try and do it so I might still be within that range that you talked about, like the first five rounds. But I, for me personally, I've loved the way that my teams have shaped up when I've taken running back quarterback early, or if I was able to trade back. But again, it, you know, it looks good today, but how is it going to look next year? It could be completely different. But Right. And, and what, what you'll see is that it'll look, it might look good right now, but the injury rate for running backs is, is higher. Uh, so you'll, you'll, so that's a lot of it. So again, why at the top, the running backs are going to, are going to outproduce wide receivers in terms of what, you know, if we just look at last year's stats, for example, you know, the, the, the top running backs are going to outproduce the top wide receivers in terms of warp, but that's not to say that the guys that were selected early are going to be those guys, right? They right, might be, right. but, but a higher percentage of them are going to get hurt or are going to, you know, have some sort of value, uh, uh, drop, you know, uh, one of the things that I found in terms of, uh, in terms of injury rate, Josh Hermsmeyer did, I think one of the top five most important articles ever written about dynasty, about fantasy football in general is, uh, the basically looking at what the average running back, uh, injury rate is. And it's about 40% of in a normal year, you can expect about 40% of the guys with top 24 ADPs entering the season to miss four or more consecutive games via injury. And when you think about that, Right. Yeah. I took, you know, I did it this week. I took Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb in the top, you know, at the turn, the one, two turn. Right. And there's reasons for that. It's primarily how the wide receiver positions constructed this year, but there's a lot of risk in doing that. And, and what you'll notice is if you, I even looked at it last year in terms of the analytics of dynasty, the first, the first book, if you basically, you know, try to get, try to trade up into the first round of a rookie draft or in a startup draft historically and take two running backs, the odds that they'll finish as, as top 12 backs in the first year is like less than 33%, right? It's a really, it's, and that's like, you look at it, it's, it's surprising, but it's, it's, it's dangerous. And so that's a lot of it. That's a lot of it too. And again, if you were to tell me you can take the running back one or the running or the wide receiver one finish, you're going to take the running back one finish, but predicting who that is, it's a, there's some, a lot of risk in and going early, not to say that this year, again, with some, with the way wide receiver values are, I think historically the wide receivers early in a draft are older than they have historically been. So that's one aspect and you're getting, later on in the draft, you're getting some decent value in terms of guys that are depressed assets right now for what I think are irrational reasons um, that are are pretty good buys. So this year sets up to be a little bit different and, and play. I think you have to, and again, that's why I think the, the strategy is important, but being amenable to sort of what's happening in the market is even more important. 
yeah, I'm looking at some of the wide receivers that I've gotten later in, you know, one draft or another. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, mm-hmm. um, Tyler Lockett, Robert Woods, yes. Tyler Boyd. Yes. So, I mean, and you could point to this for Jarvis running backs Landry. as well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But so um, before I, I turn it over to Dan, because I do have a question for Dan, but one other question I have for you, Jordan. So I know that you love to hammer running back in those mid to late rounds. I You talked about Raheem Mostert, Latavius Murray. Do you find that it's extremely important if you take that approach that you're active in your league? Because I've seen people that have those running backs on their team. They might not necessarily be a contender, but they never move those types of running backs. Yes. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of different ways to capitalize on the value, right? And so, you know, Wayne Gallman's a good example of this last year, right? Like Wayne Gallman. Yeah, I wrote a guy. I, I'm. I wrote an article over at Football Guys, and I sort of talked about Wayne Gallman. And last year, if you you could easily have rostered Wayne Gallman, right? I mean, I had 70 percent ownership of him because he was just dirt cheap, right? It's it's yep. easy to get those guys. It's it's really tough to get that of Saquon Barkley because he costs so much, right? You can get a lot of Wayne Gallman, uh, and so. You know Wayne Gallman for a couple weeks stretch. Barkley's out. It's the same thing that happened with Flavius Murray, just a poor man's version of it. Um, and so you know you can do one of two things: you can either start him, or you could take the 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 asset that you could get for him, which was you know in a couple of spots I took future seconds uh, and moved on. Right. So that's you know th- I tend to find with my strategy that, uh, and I've had subscribers and patrons and and people in my chat. Uh, you know, discussing this with me that I tend to find that my strategy is it's difficult to trade sometimes in the off season, because what you'll find is that my rosters are built differently. And because of that, that they're built differently from the market, you know, from the, the 11 other owners in my league, that those owners might not be as interested in the players uh, as I, as I am on my roster. Right. So I might value, you know, I have a strategic structural reason why I value backup running backs more. People don't do that because they, they have a misconception that wide receiver value uh, is protected year over year. Historically, that's what people think, which is not true Um, outside the top, call it 75 picks of a startup draft. That's just not true. Um, But, you can't convince people of that. And I'm trying to trade with them. I've got an edge in my league. I'm not going to do that. So where I end up capitalizing in value is in season, right? Cause when there's an injury, right. When there's um, you know, when there's an injury, I'm either starting that player or I'm trading them. And you know, that's where I'm taking my cash out. So I joked last year that I, I wish that I had enough Dante Pettis to trade him, but I just couldn't cause I didn't roster him anywhere. Right. <laughs> cause I just avoid, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weak profile. So I just didn't roster it anywhere. And so I knew it was a weak profile. I would have loved to have traded, but I couldn't because I didn't, I didn't have it. So that's, I think if there's a drawback, it's that, but I think it leaves you optimized in season. It's funny that you bring up your roster construction and during the off season, I'm one of those guys. I constantly scan my leagues and I, yeah. I have several leagues, but I scan them and I go, okay, can I, can I get a deal done here, here, here? Mm-hmm. And I've looked at your rosters and as you can tell, I have not sent you a, an offer because yeah. just like you said, mm-hmm. and I, and I, it kind of gives, I, I don't want to say it gives me an advantage, but I kind of know how you approach it. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you talk on several pods. I, I I follow you on Twitter. So I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
okay, he's he's not going to move that guy for this or that. So I, I kind of move on. But it's funny that you brought that up because I I agree with you. You're one of the teams that I just kind of scan over and I say, okay, I'll I'll move on to Joe Schmo over here. <laughs> but it's it's a uh, you know, and and not to say again, going back to the, I wouldn't change anything I've written in terms of strategy. Um, I, I'm going back to the calendar conversation, what I have learned and again, this is all, well, I think every year is different, but one of the things that I have learned is that, which is, I think if you draft in February, it's different than when you draft in August. Right. And a lot of that is because this is a great year for it. I mean, there was running backs just hemorrhaging value. I mean, left and right. I mean, what, what do we have? 11 guys drafted in the first two days of the NFL draft. I mean, how many backup running backs were just just decimated in terms of value, right? Yep. Starters were, right? Um, drafting in February, maybe the answer isn't to draft 15 running backs, right? Maybe the maybe the answer is, is to draft, you know, selective wide receivers. I'm very selective is the key word there, you know, but maybe more, um, more attractive tight end values, right? Depressed asset uh, tight ends where you, you know, if you're selecting uh, just using an example, like you might've been able to get a guy like Wayne Gallman or Eric Ebron in the same range. I think clearly the, the optimized decision in, February is to take Eric Ebron, right? Because there's a chance that he goes up in value. There's a chance that he's a starter. There's a chance that where there's a pretty good chance that the Giants are going to address running back. That's not quite as true in, in August, right? So if in August comes around and you have, you know, Eric Ebron, I think bumped up in value, it's not the same conversation with Wayne Gallman, but if you have a, a wide receiver and a running back, you know, 18th round and it's a developmental wide receiver, a backup running back. I mean, the clear choice is running back over wide receiver that, you know, same thing I think with tight end, generally speaking. Um, so I would, you know, in recognition of what you said, I have been cognizant of that and built, you know, to both be attractive as a trade partner and to sort of you know, not be as risky in terms of early on in February, um, you know, on those, what I think are pretty tenuous spots, admittedly, um, they're much more known or, or understood, um, in August and you can still get them like a couple years ago. And it's funny, it hasn't broken. Right. But Malcolm Brown was a guy that I owned a ton of a ton of, and then the, the, like the week before Gurley goes down, Malcolm Brown gets hurt and then it's CJ Anderson. And I'm just like, I'm like laying on my desk in my office down here. Like, I'm just like, come on in the same, like last year, I own Madison everywhere, everywhere. Set like 75% ownership of Madison. Delvin cook goes down to week 15, and so does Alexander Madison and it's a Mike Boone week in the championship. And I'm like, I'm just like despondent, right? Like it broke against me two years in a row, but you know, I, I sort of do it enough and, and sort of, you know, and, but you know, at the same time I had Moster, right. And I had, I had these guys. So, um, you know, Alexander Madison just happens to be like one of my favorite players. So, um, you know, so those are, you know, I do think you have to adjust a little bit in terms of how you implement it and when you implement it. But yeah. So. And I like the perspective that you and, and the spin that you put on it because we talk about it all the time. And, and uh, Mitch, he's not here tonight, but he brought that up, I think, last week, where he said there are drafts early in the offseason where he's targeting 
veterans more because they're slipping in value whereas because everyone's all hyped on the rookies and the younger guys but then in august maybe you know i brought him up earlier julio jones he's back up to wide receiver 10 in startups so the value definitely shifts a little bit and you know we talk about running backs uh prior to the draft if we're doing a startup and i don't want to toot my own horn but at least once an episode i do this dan when ross tucker was on the show afterwards we answered some listener questions and one of the questions was if there's a running back going outside of the top 20 in startups today and this was what march april was before the nfl draft my guy was clyde edwards hilaire and i i think i already won because i i think he's already a top 12 running back in in startups now so i you know i i think it's very interesting just like you said jordan you don't want to take those veteran running backs especially backups prior to the nfl draft and free agency but then once those pass it might be a little bit safer to take them so i i love that approach so dan jordan gave us a rundown on warp do you feel any more comfortable right now than you did three hours ago Yes and no. That's a loaded question, John. You know, I, if our listeners didn't come out of like 20 takeaways from Jordan's last, uh, you know, analysis there that they're just not listening and uh, just just so many great points, man. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you, John, you know, I love running backs. Um, you know, I think Jordan made a good point and, you know, every year's different. You know, I could tell he's identifying how this year's market's different. We've talked about this in past episodes, John, where you know, the running back market's really unique. Even the quarterback market's a little more unique this year where I think receiver and tight ends kind of is what it is. Um, so I like that. And, uh, you know, I want to come out with an elite running back or at least a very strong running back to compete against those big guys. So I, I like Jordan's strategy. I do want to come out with at least one strong running back. But otherwise, I, I see that value in those receivers early in those first five rounds where as much as I think you labeled me, John, with – you know, going being a running back kind of guy, I am in like this these years this year's startups being more receiver heavy and seeing the value in dynasty and wanting to win. So so I like that strategy. And John, you also mentioned being very active. I think that's the key to it all, man. Whether we draft in February or we draft in August, you know our strategies change. But I don't think anyone's going to outwork either of us, either of the three of us. You know, and I think just for our listeners out there, you, you got to work at it. You got to grind. And I, I could tell uh, Jordan's grinding. Very good. Very good analysis. And Jordan, this has nothing to do with the analytics of Dynasty or any of the talking points we have. But how often do you see a team in your league that just lets value pass by? And whether it's, you know, they have a spike in value or, you know, a potential drop in value coming up and they just don't make a move or they don't even try to make a move for a certain player. Yeah, I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to know if the player's doing it. But like, I think one of the things that you said, right, in that league where that trade just went down, um, the person, you know, I don't want to trash anyone, but I didn't receive an offer for the player. Right. I, I'm, I would guess. And I know the backstory of how that trade went down. So I would guess that you didn't receive one either. Right. So that's a that's a big one. Right. Like that is, you know, if someone's trading, if someone is sending you offers right for a player, always know the news on the player. But you don't necessarily have to do the deal with that person. Right. Like maybe go, hey, you know, there's nothing to say, hey, give me 24 hours. Let me think about this and go around to shop it to other people. You might be able to get more. Right. So as a tactical thing, I think that's important. One thing too, as I generally speaking, Dan, what sort of what you were saying, 
I think the 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 one trick that I would say is if you're going to try and catch someone at running back, right? If you're going to try and catch up to the elite guys, don't take guys like James White because you'll never do it. Take guys like Latavius Murray, who in short sample sizes can mimic that, right? Can mimic a top six, right? And try and piece it together. There was a, there was a stretch. It was over eight weeks, two years ago where uh, TJ Yeldon and Latavius Murray in like a, in an eight week stretch were a win over replacement. Right. That's how you, and that's almost on par with what you would expect to call it top three running back to finish in the season and about that range. I mean, that you're, you're sort of catching people by doing that, right? You're, you're making up a huge difference in terms of, I mean, and what did that cost you to, you know, double digit round picks, right? Um, and that's being generous to what TJ Heldon's value was at that point. So, you know, I, I, that's one thing. And, and one other thing too, is in terms of variance, right? I'm a big fan of, you know, my tagline is embrace the variance. I want to take risk in those players, right? Because like AJ Dillon's my most owned rookie this year, because if AJ Dillon hits, there's a huge upside in terms of what, what he can offer, right? He has a league moving upside. Same thing with how I thought with Alexander Madison last year. And we saw it with Raheem Mostert. There's a, there's a uh, systematic uh, advantage in terms of those backup running backs that they can tilt leagues. I mean, um, you know, uh, with a Saints guy a couple years ago, Hightower, you know, Tim Hightower won people leagues in week 16, right? No one was rostering him in week 13 and he won people money in week 16. Right. That those stories are very common. And, you know, it's it's not many, but CJ Anderson, right? One there's almost one a year where it's guys that tilt leagues at the end of the season that are backup running backs. Um, and that's just end of the season. There's countless of opportunities in season. So just exposing them um will catch you up to the elite running backs more, you know, just measure it in warp than um, you know, than a guy like James White will ever do. So that's why I'm I embrace a lot of risk in those running backs because I think the upside is is pretty valuable. So I'm looking at the show notes here. I'm looking at the clock here. We're 90 minutes in and it <laughs> I just it feels I, sorry, like, blew your storage on your No, <laughs> on no, your no. It, I mean, it feels like it was 10 minutes, but I think we we might have to leave the listeners wanting more. So I think maybe next month Jordan we have you pop back on sure. and talk about some of the additional things we have on our list and there's some other interesting things in the analytics of dynasty you know, you sent over the table of contents and some of the things that you talk about on Twitter that I think could use a little bit more explaining for our listeners. So I think that's something that we might do. If you have some availability, you know, we can coordinate that, but you know, before we sign off here, Jordan, thank you so much for jumping on. This was an absolute blast. And I almost forgot about Mitch entirely. I know he's not on the show, but you know, it's always good when we have a great guest on the show and you know, they pick up the slack for us here. Uh, Dan, you and I, we could have just sat back, relaxed. I'm drinking Trulies. It's Jordan's show tonight. So thank you so much for joining us. Tell our listeners about, you know, uh, where to find the analytics of Dynasty, anything else you're working on through the offseason, and where to find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on social media at uh, McNamara Dynasty. Um, so if I'm not accidentally bombarding you with a whole bunch of tweets from, you know, 
a few weeks ago. I am there. You can always ask me questions um, there. You can all find all of my work over at analyticsofdynasty.com. Um, you can find the book at analyticsofdynasty.com slash shop. The 2020 edition's uh, available for $30 over there. I do have a coupon code for your listeners. So if you enter the code theory um, as the coupon code, theory, all lowercase, just one word, um, you'll get $5 off. So it's for your listeners, $25, um, enter the code theory as your, as your coupon and get that discount. Um, and so you can find all of that over there at analysts.com slash shop. You can find my Patreon stuff. Like I said, I have the group me, I've got the data package with the real draft data. Um, I have dynasty tiers, which are based on my, um, my base rates and density rates from the book. And I have notes on all players. Um, and I have some other, um, some other data stuff over there that you can use. Um, and my group me chat, I do a live show every Sunday night for all my patrons. Um, so you can find all that at patreon.com slash analytics at dynasty and go check out the, uh, the football guys dynasty show. I think we're five episodes in Chad Parsons and I, um, my co-host at UTH, we're both staff writers at football guys. We got this really uh, unique opportunity to, to host a show on the audible network. So, um, we're doing that every Tuesday night so you can find us over there, um, and in the podcast feed over there. So, and you know, if you have questions, hit me up at McNamara dynasty on Twitter. That's awesome. Thank you, Jordan. And as our listeners know, I'm never one to shy away from blasting, you know, uh, uh, different things on Twitter. So I will be letting people know theory gets you $5 off the analytics of dynasty. Dan, like I said, we could have sat back and relaxed, which we pretty much did. And that's why we have these fantastic guests come on. They take over the show. It makes our job easy, but do you have a closing thought for the listeners tonight? Man, please re-listen to this pod. Maybe listen to it two, three times. Cause you know, Jordan's throwing out warp base density. I had to write all this down here, uh, tactical decisions that were being made. And I know next week's show, we're going to be talking relative position, Johnny, with our next guest, you're converting me here. I'm a films guy, but th- these are some impressive analytics. It's been a, been a pleasure, Jordan. No. And Thanks like I said, I, absolutely. I don't, I, I don't know. If there's a show that has better guests than we've had, you know, dating back to last April, but especially in the last three months, it has just been crammed with fantastic guests. So again, Jordan, thank you so much. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF and subscribe to the YouTube channel Dynasty Theory. Stay safe. And I'm adding this one in there this week. Be kind to each other and have a great night.